Hi there, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. Today, we're going to highlight another area of medical music therapy with our guest, Emily Pivovarnik, who is a NICU and pediatric intensive care music therapist right here in Columbia, Missouri. Emily is a good friend of giving songs and a friend of mine, so I'm very excited to finally have her on. Emily S. Pivovarnik, MM, MTBC, NICU MT, is a board certified music therapist for the University of Missouri Children's Hospital in Columbia, Missouri. She coordinates programming and provides services to all pediatric units in the neonatal intensive care unit. Emily is also the music therapy internship director and oversees music therapy research at the University of Missouri. Emily is an alumna of Montclair State University and Florida State University and is a research fellow of the National Institute for Infant and Child Medical Music Therapy. Her research interests include medical music therapy with specific focus on neonatal intensive care music therapy. We're so excited to have Emily on today, so let's get to it. It is so great to finally have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about music therapy today. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. So let's get into it. To get started, I just want to give you a chance to share your clinical background and education and kind of the journey that brought you here today. So take it away. Yeah, well, I did my undergrad education at Montclair State University up in New Jersey. And then after that, I decided, well, after my internship, which was at UPMC, so I worked three months in their Western Psychiatric Facility and three months in Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, where I got to spend a lot of time working in peds in the NICU. And after that, I decided, you know, I'm just not done learning. So I decided to pursue my master's at Florida State University, um, where I got the chance to work in the NICU at TMH and kind of hone in on what I love, which is the NICU. So after that, I decided, you know, I'm willing to go anywhere in the world, but I'm not willing to not work in a NICU. So <laughs> I um, was so excited to accept the position in December of 2020 at um, the University of Missouri Women's and Children's Hospital. So I'm here now in Columbia, Missouri. Um, I work with pediatric populations, our pediatric intensive care unit, our outpatient cancer and blood disorder unit, our outpatient procedure suite, as well as our level three NICU. You are busy. And I know this because I know you, but you just laid it out there. You are very busy. And I think that's definitely true of you. If there's one thing that I know about you, it's that you are never done learning, which is part of why I was so excited to um, to ask you onto the show to give us some education, because that is like something that you're very good at. You're 
um, very curious. And um, so starting with that, we have briefly introduced Nikki Music Therapy on the show a few episodes back. We talked with CL Knox and Ryan Johnson, who you know, Emily, um, we've all kind of run in similar circles down at the FSU um, kind of <laughs> gathering area in Tallahassee. Um, so we've touched on it a little bit, but for anyone listening who doesn't know, can you maybe specifically talk more about some of the NICU work that you're doing? Um, someone might be thinking like, why would you have music in a NICU? These infants are really fragile and they don't need live music. They're not listening to music, but what would you say to that? And what are you working on? Yeah, I always love to talk about, you know, it is an intensive care unit. They are a fragile population. And because of that fragility, the importance of the evidence behind the work that we do is so important. I think what I always love to say to that question in the NICU is that, you know, especially for premature infants, there's this dichotomy going on between they are understimulated because they're not having that tactile stimulation from being able to push against mom's belly. They're not having the vestibular stimulation of mom walking every day or hearing mom's voice. Um, and then on the other hand of that, they're overstimulated, right? Because they're having all of these loud monitors, bright lights, pokes, uncomfortable touch that's vital for their medical care, but is unfortunately going to cause some hindrance in the development of you know, their neurodevelopment and their sensory processing. So what can we do in that stage? Because we know that they can be overstimulated and they are a fragile population that we need to protect. And then on the other hand of that, we know that if they're, if we're going to protect them too much to where they're not going to have any sort of sensory input or integration, those neuronal pathways are going to die off and they're not going to have a, they're not going to be able to secure their place or function. So what we've found with music is that that is kind of a developmentally appropriate way. And we know that it has soothing qualities. We know that it can help with vitals. We know that it can help with language acquisition and developmental goals. Um, and that's a developmentally appropriate way to gradually increase their tolerance to stimulation and help with providing sort of that model of developmental care. Wow. Yeah. And there's um, just like a wealth of incredible research on all of those things too. Like you said, it is very much evidence-based and you um, are like actively working to be on the front lines of that, which I think is amazing. Now you are also in the pediatric intensive care unit, which is a little bit different. Um, could you talk a little bit about the, the type of work in the music therapy that you're doing in the PICU? Yeah. And I think, you know, I always say I'm lucky because I get to kind of have almost two jobs at once because, you know, the, my days in the NICU look very different than my days in Peds and PICU. Um, I think that in the PICU, we're working a lot more, you know, and I think CL kind of alluded to this in the last episode, but how the protocols that we use in the NICU are very protocol-based and step-by-step. -step, and this is what you do at this point in time where in the PICU, it's a little bit more, you have a little bit more freedom for the type of interventions that you provide. I do a lot of, um, we work a lot with kids who are intubated in our PICU and just providing that, you know, that kind of live music to help with vitals, to help with comfort, to help provide family support. Um, I also do a lot of relaxation and anxiety reduction in our PICU as well, um, as well as of course, providing heartbeat recordings where we can and where appropriate. 
Yes. So when you say vitals, that is hospital speak for what? Could you just kind of define? Because I know that that includes a lot of things and is actually a really, really cool function of music therapy. So just could you define that a little bit? Yeah. So when I talk about vitals in the NICU, we're looking at their oxygen saturation. So how much what percent of oxygen is actually getting into their bloodstream, um, their heart rate. So how fast or slow their heart is beating per minute and then their respiration rate. So how many times a minute they're actually breathing. Um, so what we found with music and I actually had a really cool patient story the other day of a patient who, you know, normal limit for oxygen saturation for a premature infant. We want them to be above 90, at least um, between 90 and hundred percent. And we have, you know, some of these critically ill micro preemie infants who were born at 25, 26 weeks who are now, you know, 28, 29 weeks still intubated and very much in that space of, we want to protect them because they, yes. you know, and that's very much where the medical staff is coming from. Of we want to protect them. We want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to keep them safe and keep them alive. And but what we found with music, especially with this one patient that I'm thinking of, um, is that kind of having that nice, steady lullaby style music actually helped him to increase his oxygen saturation and decrease his heart rate. And I think it, you know, there's qualities that's soothing for babies. There's qualities that is helpful with self-regulation for babies. You know, babies don't really have a lot of skills to regulate their their bodies and having something with that steady, constant rhythm and pitch can help them kind of entrain to that. And with this specific patient I'm thinking of, he, his oxygen went from 87% to 97% with 30 minutes, 30 seconds of live music. Wow. And respiratory therapist was able to come in and turn his vent settings down like 15%. <laughs> wow. A couple minutes. So it's really cool to see. And I think that that you know, is one of my favorite parts about working in the NICU is that it is so data-driven and it is so evidence-based and you can actually see the changes in that vital monitor with music in the in response. To it's it. literally evident. Like the evidence is right <laughs> before your eyes. Yes. <laughs> and it's so doing. rare in music therapy practice that we have those hard, fast numbers, right? That we can see, oh, at the start of music therapy, his oxygen saturation was 87. And at the end it was 97. And an hour later, it was still 97. Yeah. Like to be able to have that hard data is so cool to me because I am such a data-driven person. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, you know, that's what's sometimes really unique about the NICU is that we are able to pull those hard, fast numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you are um, introducing this, and obviously the hospital has bought into this because you have an awesome program going, your, your nurses see what you're doing, the doctors see what you're doing, and they support you, which is amazing. But there's one other population that sometimes you have to um, introduce your services to, and that is the family. So tell me a little bit about the work that you do with families, and how do you um, include them in this incredible work that you're doing with their fragile little babies, you know, that they don't get a lot of um, opportunity to help. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, there's a lot that goes on for families of babies in the NICU. You know, they're, yeah. they're worried about their baby. They're not sure what's going to happen. They're afraid. They may feel guilty. You know, is there something that I did or that I could have done differently right. to prevent this premature birth? Um, they're feeling probably a loss of control. You know, when you have a baby, you're excited to feed the baby and change the baby's diaper and hold the baby and snuggle the baby. And all of a sudden your baby's in an isolate and you can only touch it for 30 minutes a day. Like there's 
a lot of loss of control. So anytime that we can give that power and empower families to take part in their child's care, I think is really important. And music is a wonderful way that we can do that. So we can encourage, we know that babies will recognize mom's voice and prefer mom's voice. So we can encourage moms to sing to their babies and to participate in some of the interventions that we do in the NICU. And I think through that, we're giving them a little bit of that power back and saying, you can do this, you can participate in this. It's also a really good time for mom to have, and mom and dad to have, you know, a 20 minute break from thinking about the fact that their baby's in an intensive care unit and they can just sing to their baby and do something that's so normal that you would do to your, to a term baby at home, you know, everybody sings to their baby, right? Um, Giving them a little bit of a normalizing experience as well, I think is really powerful. And then also just being able to see mom's reaction to the baby reacting to mom's voice is really special, I think. And kind of, again, just gives them a little bit of that power and that control and empowers them back a little bit. Absolutely. And talk about the opportunity to repair and begin that bonding too, because a lot of that gets disrupted when babies are separated from, from their caregivers in the NICU. And so that's really difficult and something that families have to kind of work through maybe later on. Um, but that early intervention, the earliest intervention that you're providing is just so powerful and goes a really long way. And, um, I know even, you mentioned that like the research talks about how, how babies are shown to prefer mom's voice because that's the constant, that's one of the constant sounds that they hear along with mom's heartbeat. That is what they recognize from the beginning. And um, so even if parents feel like, oh no, no, I can't sing. They don't want to listen to me. It's like, yes, they do. Right. I'm sure you hear that all the time. (laughs) All the time. I always say babies would pay a hundred thousand dollars for a ticket to mom's show and just try to, yeah. I mean, that bonding piece is so important, especially if, you know, a lot of moms will choose to forego their maternity leave until the baby comes home from the NICU. So mom may have a week as she's recovering postpartum to spend in the NICU with the baby. And then she may have to go back to work or she may live two hours away and have two other kids at home and may not be able to get to the NICU. So really optimizing those opportunities when she is there for bonding and encouraging her to sing and talk to her baby, or maybe doing a recording to play at bedside for the baby um, of mom's voice and just encouraging that, um, that constant kind of interaction that mom can give to the baby, I think is empowering for the families and does help long-term with that bonding. Absolutely. And I know in your, um, clinical work during your master's, you got to actually participate in the like follow-up at-home program for post-NICU infants. So what does the transfer look like for families um, going from NICU to home? Is music therapy still relevant? What can that look like for them? I think so. I actually talked to a mom yesterday who is, um, her little one was a part of our research study, is a part of one of the research studies that we're doing here that we're doing long-term follow-up with. And um, she was just talking about how her son loves music and is constantly like smiling. And I think it's really cool. Um, One of the things that we've seen with that follow-up is that if we sing the songs that we sing in the NICU, babies typically, you know, you can kind of tell that they recognize the music. And I think that they're able to, that the fact that they're able to create those long-term memories and connections at such an early age in such a unique place as a NICU is really cool. Um, We also, I don't, we don't have a music therapy follow-up program at our hospital right now, but I am fortunate that I do follow on the pediatric side of things. So I sometimes see NICU grads and just being able to see them 
you know, kind of anecdotally responding to music that they heard in the NICU, I've definitely noticed that for sure. Yeah, that's cool. And that also kind of goes with the regulation piece and like tying that into including families in that and like the co-regulation piece, that's going to be so important for their emotional, social and brain development later, long after they go home. That's something that benefits every body, every human throughout our entire life. And so starting that transfer of understanding what music and nurturing looks like from, you know, handheld size to Mm -hmm. their whole childhood, I think is just, it's, it's so cool. And you it's, I mean, there's so much data, but you also can't even like quantify how valuable that is for these infants and their families. And I think it's just, you know, it's another piece to empower families um, and give them skills to help with their child's development and to help bond with their child and give their child something positive to engage in and work towards, you know, in a world where technology is typically number one, (laughs) you know, encouraging that live interaction and that live music, I think is really nice too. Absolutely. So could you describe a little bit of what this actually looks like in a NICU? What types of interventions are you using? Are you just walking in there with a guitar and just playing whatever you feel like? I know the answer is no, that's a rhetorical question. (laughs) But, um, you know, like, what does it look like for you when you're planning these sessions and you're looking at your charts? Who is appropriate for what kind of, yeah, what does that look like? Yeah. So I think, um, we have kind of a unique NICU because we are a little bit higher acuity where right. our medical director would call a level 3.5 in that um, we do see we do see some of the micro preemies who end up um, staying with us for a year plus and have those tracheostomies. Yeah. We see infants with neonatal abstinence syndrome, and then we do see um, some term infants with brain injuries and we see your typical premature infants. So obviously when I'm going to work with a 28 weeker, it's going to look a little bit different than a six month baby who maybe was an X 27 weeker who is now just continuing to work on lung development. Um, so it does look a little different. And we were actually talking this morning about how I feel like nurses finally get the hang of like when I'm scheduling for one intervention and then I go in for another one. And it's just, it's, definitely a lot different depending on who I'm working with and when, um, I mean, I don't think that there's a baby in the NICU who's not appropriate for music therapy. I don't think that that's ever going to (laughs) happen. Um, but I do feel like it does look a little bit different depending on who I'm seeing and when, so we can start, you know, 28, 29 weeks with some interventions and then moving into different interventions as the infant grows and continues to develop in their anatomy changes and their developmental needs change and then kind of continuing that past the term age and working on those developmental milestones. Um, so of course with the 28, 29 weeker, I'm not going to have a guitar, but maybe, you know, with the seven month old, I have some shakers or something to work on fine motor stuff. So I think it does look very different and, you know, kind of depends on the day and the minute and the hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you have been busy also in your academic pursuits, like ever since you graduated, and I don't think you're ever going to stop. You've been doing some writing and research. Could you tell us just a little bit about um, what your recently published article is about, which congratulations, by the way, that's super exciting. (laughs) If you guys don't know, Emily just um, had an article published just a couple weeks ago. Um, so just kind of give us a brief summary of what it's about and why it's relevant to the literature and what you're doing. 
Yeah. So, well, I guess a little bit of background. So when I was doing my master's at FSU, um, it was the middle of a pandemic and I couldn't do a true research study on human subjects um, <laughs> <to> <laughs> COVID. <laughs> and I had become, I had taken some developmental courses and some um, courses within the College of Medicine. And I became really interested in the evidence behind the interventions that we use in the NICU and the actual reason behind that. And I became really interested in looking at the development of the infant. And I think I read a textbook once and I was like, whoa, I have no idea what any of that means, but I really want to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for my master's thesis at FSU, I decided to tackle the development of premature infants and that in utero development and how it can look different if that fetal development is disrupted by a premature birth. And then what that looks like as that infant continues third trimester fetal development in you in the NICU. Um, and I think, you know, I found a lot of really cool things. I found that, you know, the interventions that we are doing do align with the development of the infant, which is obviously super important. Right. And I also discovered that, you know, scientists and biologists who are studying development calculate life as prenatal and postnatal. So everything that happens from birth on is equal to what happens in those first nine months. So those first nine months of fetal development are so important. And there's another thing that I found is that there's just so many changes. So if you're working with a 28 weeker one week, by the time that infant is 32, it looks completely different developmentally. Right. And I think coming from a place of you know, nationally, NICUs are moving towards this model of developmental care. And we want to, as therapists, be able to, you know, have that knowledge as well and be able to show other medical staff and other nursing staff that our interventions do align with this model and they do align with the development of the infant. So (laughs) long-winded version of that, I, um, this article that I wrote was for Neonatal Network and it talks about specifically the development of sensory processing in premature infants and what that could look like in the NICU and why the why behind when we're doing what in NICU music therapy and as well as just kind of providing that rationale for why it's developmentally appropriate to include music therapy as a part of the baby's care in the NICU. Absolutely. That is huge. And, um, I'm just thinking my, like my brain is just spinning because like you know, giving song, this, this practice, we work a lot with young kids and you, you know, this and the listeners know this, um, cause we talk about it all the time and we work with a lot of individuals who have sensory processing disorders. But one of the things that we ask about is, um, in our intake paperwork, cause we're very, very thorough. Um, one thing that we like to know is if they were born prematurely and if they spent time in a NICU, um, because that does obviously or can potentially affect their development and their sensory processing, you know, this, um, but it's just another piece of information to put together in their, in their, um, their file, if you will, for how they got here. Um, but music is such a, a powerful resource and intervention for individuals and families. Um, so even if there are deficits, there's also hope and there's always room for growth and music is an amazing tool to foster that growth in the NICU and beyond. Um, Yeah. And I think it's so important because we, 
you know, the effects of prematurity don't stop at discharge, right? They can last into, and we always say like zero to two is when we really try to bridge that gap, but there's effects of prematurity that is seen until adolescence yeah. uh, in some research studies. So it, I think it's so important to constantly be considering that. And even, you know, when we're rounding in peds talking about who is an ex preemie and, you know, who needs that little bit of extra developmental care yeah. uh, in their treatment, even not in the NICU. Yeah, absolutely. So just to kind of wrap things up, since this is a learning episode and we love to give our listeners all of the resources and all the educational links and um, places to go, what is a good way for our listeners, um, maybe specifically who are music therapists, who are looking to get some more education on Nikki music therapy. What are some places that they can go to, to do that? Yeah, I would definitely recommend, um, doing the virtual training for, um, within the national Institute for infant and child medical music therapy. So there's an eight hour lecture component. Um, that's kind of the first step. We're actually offering it virtually this fall on September 16th and 17th. Um, Dr. Stanley is hosting the training with Petra Kern with, um, And so you can kind of go online and find that training um, as well as we are working on, Dr. Stanley is working on a new edition of the Music Therapy and Premature Infant textbook, which should be coming soon. So that would be a really nice resource to have, even for people who may already be NICU trained to have some up, you know, the most up-to-date and recent information about evidence-based NICU-MT. So I think those are probably the two, (laughs) the two avenues that I would definitely recommend, but um, to just kind of close out here, Emily, thank you so much for your time and your passion is just evident and the excellence in your work is just, um, it speaks for itself. Um, and you're doing amazing, amazing things with where you're at. And, um, thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much. It's so fun to chat with you and talk about music therapy. I could do it all day. So, (laughs) well, you're awesome. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for tuning in to Music Therapy and Beyond. For show notes from today's episode, head to our website, musictherapyandbeyond.com. And while you're there, check out our shop. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe to share our work on all platforms. And don't forget to tune in every Monday for another great episode. We'll see you next time.